So we are continuing this series that we started several weeks ago in the book of Isaiah. And as we've uh, started out on that, we saw the very first week, we looked at chapter one of Isaiah, which it gives us an overview, kind of an outline of the entire book. Uh, and as we see that, we've seen some of these, again, themes that we looked at in, in the chapter one and how they've, they've resurfaced, dive deeper into those. And today, they said we are on week four, and as I said from the beginning, week one was introduction, and there are two very distinct sections of the book of Isaiah. Well, there's actually three. Um, We're covering the first two. The third one we're not really diving into because we don't have time to do that. Um, But the the first two, we are finishing the first section, which is chapters two through 39 today. Next week, we'll start in the second section. We'll be in Isaiah 40 starting uh, next week. But as we dive into this today, we uh, continue to see how, how Isaiah ha- has communicated the calling that God's put on his heart. That we, We've seen this vision that came from him and, um, and, and all of the different um, judgments and poetries and allegories and, and glimpses of hope and kind of all of these things that, that we've seen even as we look at this first major section of Isaiah. And yet we've already seen how Isaiah is a complex weave of stories, judgments, victories, and future predictions. And they're all kind of weaved together into, uh, into this, ultimately this testimony of Isaiah and, and him just fulfilling his role as a prophet as he receives these messages from God and, and passes them on to the intended audience, which was the entire nation of Israel, of God's chosen people. Like I said, we started out week one of that intro, week two we looked at chapters five and six, and we saw this incredible foreshadow of the new covenant that will, we, that will be brought through the Messiah. And then last week we looked at chapters eight and nine and saw the picture of hope in the midst of struggle, and how God is with us no matter what, and that God can truly be uh, trusted to fulfill his promises. I said, and now today we're going to jump into Isaiah uh, chapter 11. Uh, verses 1 through 9. And, and as Isaiah continues to work through this, we see again it was Isaiah and the, the intro to the entire book. And then uh, this morning we're going to jump into Isaiah chapter 9 or chapter 11. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, if you're with us in person and have, uh, want to use the Bibles in the chairs, you're welcome to do that. You see the page numbers are available there for you. Uh, again, those online, hopefully you have a Bible with you. You can follow us along as well. But we're going to read Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 9. It says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make their decisions, uh, make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. A little child will lead them all. A cow will graze near the bear, a cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play, play safely near the hole of a cobra. This a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the waters, 
For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And as we read this section, right, um, this, as Isaiah takes this imagery of, of Israel, the tree of Israel being chopped down, right, and through judgment, through, um, through exile, right, through um, being conquered by Assyria and Babylon and the other surrounding nations, and, and we see this, this prediction, right, that Isaiah has given of judgment that's coming to Israel. And then here he takes, he's always said, and we've seen it through the last few weeks, that he said that at, through this process, right, that God is purifying his chosen people, right, that he will not completely destroy them, that, that out of the stump that is left, right, there will be a holy seed. It is purified, and now he goes to the next step from this concept here in chapter 11 when he says, from this holy seed, this, this root, will grow a new shoot, right? That God will raise up new leadership, but it will be holy, focused on him and, and on God and, and on what they need to do. And, and as we see here, this section, just like we saw last week, was that Isaiah originally was talking about the next king of Israel, or the next ruler that was coming. But not only was he bringing hope to the, to the nation of Israel that was devastated right, of, by surrounding nations and being in exile and being you know, militarily conquered, he says that God will restore Israel with a new leader and, and, and the one that, ones that will be holy and in, through the line of David. And yet, this is also a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah, right? of God establishing his leadership for all eternity through the foreshadowed Messiah. And as we look at the description here, in, as we see this Again, this, this transition in verse 1, as, David, as, as he talks about this stump of David's family, and it's going to grow a new shoot, and, and he, he sets the stage. And then verse 2 is very significant. Okay, verse 2 is where he describes the kind of leader that God will rise up. He says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, this verse gives us a biblical description of a godly leader. One that, that, that his attention and will for not just Israel, but, but for, for earth, right, is to have godly leadership. Leadership that is focused on, on serving and worshiping the one true God. Right, that will bring pure leadership in that, and take, take not just the nation of Israel, but all of God's people down the correct path in fulfilling everything that God wants for them, for his will and his desire and his way. And we, we see it again, the, as we look at, at the different things that are, that are identified here in this verse of, of what godly leadership looks like. And, and as Isaiah, through this, his visions, from God defines for us what godly leadership is. And I will say, like I said, even though this was written 2,500 years ago, this is absolutely true today. Right? It is what godly leadership was like then is still what godly leadership is like today. Because God does not change, right? He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
He is the same before creation as he is today. And as we look at this, the first thing that is identified in the very first sentence is that the godly leadership will be connected to God and leading by his power. Right? They will be connected to God and leading by his power. That the spirit of the Lord will rest on them. That they are leading with God's direction, with God's spirit, that they are connected to God, and they are relying on his power. Now, again, as followers of Jesus, we are told this over and over again all the time, that it's not by our power but his. Right? Whether we are fighting a spiritual battle, right, or spreading the gospel, or even just growing in our own faith, we do it with God's power, not ours. Again, we are here to build his kingdom, not ours. Right? We are in service of him. And the Spirit will rest upon a leader who is surrendered to the one true God. And they will lead with his power, not with their own. Again, we set our own egos aside because it's not about me, it's about him. Right? And that is the first marker, the most important marker, I would argue, of godly leadership. Is that they are connected to God. And that they are, are leading whatever they're leading, right? For God's glory, not their own. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon them. I have always said, and I've watched and observed and always longed in my, myself and my own leadership, that one of uh, an incredibly important attribute of a good leader is their ability to follow. An important attribute of a good leader is their ability to follow. Because the reality is, no matter what position you hold, no matter what letters are before or after your name, the reality is that there is always somebody above you. Even if it's just God himself. An important attribute of a good leader is their ability to follow. And as we see that, again, this is not something that's celebrated in our culture. Right? And yet it's the first marker of a godly leader that we see in this verse. And following this attribute, there are, are, are three distinct pairs of traits that says that we will see if, if they're leading from this spirit that, that this will be true. And again, they're given in pairs. Okay? And the, the first one is that they will have wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Again, these are paired together often throughout Scripture. We can look at, in fact, if you look up just a bunch of different verses on wisdom, but most of them come with knowledge or understanding. It's connected to that. And, and yet we, we can see that many places in Scripture. In fact, if you uh, look at the, the discussion questions that, that are going along with this week, if you go to a small group and a sermon follow-up, question, that's kind of the core of what that is, is you're going to be looking at a whole bunch of verses in all of these attributes, right? And, and yet, as we look at that, is, is wisdom and understanding or wisdom and knowledge is, is connected all, a lot in Scripture. We see one example of that is in here in Proverbs 3.13, which says, joyful is a person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. Now, understanding and wisdom are not the same. I mean, they are different. There's a reason that they're both listed. I mean, we start with just a basic understanding or basic knowledge of what's happening. 
And then wisdom is taking that knowledge, that understanding, and applying it in the right way. Okay, when you think about the difference between, uh, again, this understanding and wisdom, there's just this, this old adage that I think applies in this moment. Right? Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. That we can know that, right? But then we have to apply that, right, to how we live our life and to the decisions we make. And, and we see, again, wisdom and understanding come hand in hand, that we need both things. And, and as we see here, Isaiah is saying that, that the godly leader that, that, that will rise up to lead God's chosen people will have both. And yet we see through Scripture even some of the, the best leaders, and we think about, uh, again, David, and it's coming up about David's line and how that's foretold. That even the, literally the leader that followed David, David handed the baton of leadership to his son Solomon. And, and if we can go back and, and look, that, that was the number one thing that Solomon sought and, in fact, asked God for was wisdom. And one of the reasons why his leadership was so powerful was because he relied on the wisdom of God, right, to make decisions in the way that he led the nation. So first and foremost, we see that, that this, this leader is connected to God, leading by his power, and then, then they will also, they will have wisdom and understanding from that spirit. The, the next pair of attributes that is described is that they will have counsel and might. They will have counsel and might. Now again, this is originally written in the context of a king. And if you, when you look back at the, the, the Hebrew words that are used for this, we, we can see the, exactly what is meant by this and see how this is a very important attribute of, of any king or any government leader, okay, which is still true of even our, our government leaders of today, is, is that they need to have counsel and might. The, the, this first word, counsel, is, is the, the idea of, of diplomatic ability. Uh, of can they have the ability to, to work things out and, and to, to come to the negotiation table, in, even in, in potentially um, tense moments, right? And, and be able to, to talk and work out a solution, right, that is diplomatic in nature, meaning it's, it's not war, right? That can we negotiate with other nations? Can we have, have good relationships with, with those around us? Can, can we even have a, a calming spirit in very tense and confrontational situations? And that's the context of this word that's used here for counsel. Can we, as a godly leader, sit down and, and talk, right, and, and negotiate and, and diffuse the situation. And yet, it, it is interesting that this, this concept, right, of this diplomatic ability is also paired with the other Hebrew word that is translated here as might. And that word is literally the definition of that Hebrew word is military judgment and authority. Is a leader who who is not afraid to assert the authority given to them by God. And that, that they will 
turn to war if that's what's needed. And this, again, is quite a contrast, isn't it? I mean, and yet they're paired together. It's saying a godly leader will have both. A godly leader will know how to truly resolve issues, not to just sweep things under the rug. To be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. And to know the difference, right, of which one's needed. Knowing when it's time to keep your mouth shut and when it's time to speak up. Knowing how to keep minor things minor and keep major things major. Right? This is the ability of a leader to know what hill you're supposed to die on. When do we talk and negotiate and let it go and when do we stand up and fight? And, and we see again this, this idea, this concept of, of counsel and might. And, and we think about, even in our own lives, of realizing that there are times when I, it is appropriate for me to just keep my mouth shut and pray. Right? And there are times when God is telling me, you need to stand up for this situation. And it's time for you to open your mouth. Right? And a godly leader will have the ability through the wisdom and knowledge of God that comes from that first attribute, right, to know the difference. Right? We see in Scripture this, this pretty famous passage that, again, was written by Solomon, okay? King Solomon, and the wisdom he got from God in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He writes that for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to, to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And the wisdom of, of this king right, still applies to today. And I would say is that you are not supposed to be in every fight. But there are some fights you need to be in. Right, and, and ultimately, it depends on, again, the, the knowledge of God and his spirit, right, of leading you to know the difference. We see these attributes, right, and they're connected, and then we see this, this third one, right, that as these all kind of culminate in that this godly leadership will have knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, this word here is not just general knowledge, like, like the understanding we saw in the, in the first pairing, but, but this is specifically talking about a knowledge of God. Right? Of, the, of it, we understand who the God of, our, of creation is. Right? That we have this knowledge that, that we learn. Again, the more that we learn about God, the more that we realize we don't know very much about God. 
fact, as we look at, at this, this idea of, again, this pairing of knowledge of who God is and being a closeness to him, and yet the fear of the Lord that's also there, it's the reverent fear, right, of the respect and knowing that God, God could take me out at any time he wanted to because he's that powerful, but he's also loving. And this is a balance that's sometimes hard to see in the Old Testament. Even when we look at Isaiah, right, is it's hard to see that balance because the majority of the text in Isaiah is full of judgment and wrath. And as we've been going through it, right, I've been pulling out the hope-filled passages, but if you've been reading on your own, you'll see that there's a lot of judgment in Isaiah. And we see, again, this balance of 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 realizing that there's more to know about God than I'll ever know, but yet at the same time, he is a very loving and personal God as well as, as a, a big, powerful, righteous God. And, and just as we think about, again, God's leadership and even knowing that, again, another important attribute of a good leader is that they are also a learner. I did... That a good leader knows that, that they don't have it all figured out. That they need to be a, a continual learner. Because not just about God, but the reality is the more that I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. And, and, that, and when you think of us in our own lives and, and the people that God's transforming us into and saying, am I being the leader that God needs me to be in wherever I'm at, even if that's in the leader of my own life or the leader of my family or in my job or, or in our community or in our church or whatever that is, as I look at my own leadership to think about, am I constantly learning? Or do I think I know everything I need to know? Because not only just about constantly learning about the things of our life, but also, the, again, the more we learn about God, the more we realize how much we don't know. And how our faith journey is not over till we are face to face with God in heaven, which means if you're still here, you have more to learn and you have more growing to do. And, and with this knowledge of God comes a realization of how, God, how big God really is which brings with it that the fear of the Lord, right? The reverence of God, the respect and, the, and the, the worship of him that he deserves. We see later in Isaiah, in the section of Isaiah that we're not going to even approach, right? In Isaiah 55, verses 89, Isaiah writes, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Again, this is God reminding us that he's God and we are not. And this, again, is a mark of a, of a godly leader. And as we look at, at these attributes that come from verse 2, then as we look at the rest of this passage that we read, we realize that verses then 3 through 5 are a practical description of this leader's piety. And if they have these attributes designed in verse 2, that they will then live these out in these ways. Again, now piety is one of these scholarly, churchy words, right, that means devotion, commitment, and actively living out what you know to be true. 
And when we apply that to our faith, again, as a, the follower of Jesus, our piety is, are we living out our faith? Are we applying what we know about God and about our own salvation and about the gospel and living that out every day? Right? Around, again, around Oregon Trail, we would say, are you moving forward in your journey is what we mean by that. And your piety is you living out your faith and living out the knowledge that you have. And, and so we see verses 3 through 5 gives us a practical description of, of ways that we can, can see is a leader a godly leader. Because if they are, then those things will be true about their life and about their leadership and about their decision making. And then we move into the, this next passage in verses 6 through 9. This is a very interesting passage. Right? It's this, and 6 through 9 is the result of this leadership. And that is the fact that the world as we know it will be drastically different. Again, this is the passage we read. If you, maybe it, it tweaked your interest as we read it. This is when it talks about all these animals, right? And, and how the lion will be with the goat and, and the, you know, the poisonous snakes won't harm the kids and kind of all, all this kind of strange language, right, that comes through these verses. And, and ultimately, I believe that the, the true interpretation of what Isaiah is presenting here is just that if that this leadership means that the world as we know it will be drastically different. That, that that's not the way the world works. I mean, we can, we can read that description of those animals and all those things and not be like, yeah, but that's not really true. And it's like, yeah, that's, again, the way of nature, the way the world is running down this path, right, is, is opposite of what God's will is and the way God works, right? And we see, we see that concept all through Scripture that, that what's impossible for men is not impossible for God. Right, that God can do anything God wants to do. And, and that if God's involved, that it's going to change everything. Right, that the world as we know it will be drastically different. Again, think about the way our world would look today if we were being led by truly godly leaders. Right, our world would be very different, wouldn't it? Now, the, these verses, I, I just want to pause and just and, and know, because I think it would be... Uh, remiss for us to not identify it while we're here because these verses have been uh, interpreted many different ways throughout history by different leaders and Bible scholars. These verses in Isaiah uh, have been used for everything from an explanation for uh, allegory between warring nations all the way to the foundation for the pacifist belief and everything in between. And I will say again, as we read the verses, it's important for us to not get lost in the weeds, to not forget about the original context of what Isaiah is writing about here. In fact, these verses have been used in sometimes, and maybe you've heard it, it's kind of, a, you know, about churches bringing poisonous snakes and doing all kinds of weird things, right, to see if the Spirit's there. They, again, I do not believe that's what these verses are there for. Right? And, and, and ultimately, though, as we see that, again, just to know, again, it just reiterates the fact that we have to be very conscious and careful that we are interpreting Scripture as God intended. That we cannot take things out of context. Again, this is a passage that has been taken out of context a lot throughout history. As we look at that and realize you know, what's happening here in this passage, this, this description of godly leadership, we, we then see it all culminates here in verse 9, where it says that nothing will hurt or destroy in all the holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Again, this is the overarching sum of this 
passage, right, of saying that if we are truly have godly leaders, right, that our world will be very, very different. And again, the context here is saying, again, God's holy mountain is the Zion, I mean, the temple mount in Israel. I mean, that's specifically what's being described by Isaiah in its original context, right? And in this moment, right, that in that place, that anointed ground, right, will be very different. And in fact, it's still true today. I mean, if, if you go to Israel and go to the Temple Mount, right, it is that, that one chunk of dirt right, has been fought over and defended and, and, you know, more than any other piece of earth. And yet, when we look at that, we also realize that what we see this concept, the same thing that was presented in chapter 1, right, is that the key to all of this is people who know the Lord. Because as we rem- if we remember from week 1, we saw that, right, that relationship always comes first. What's the key to real change? A relationship with our Creator. Right, what will change the world as we know it? It is a relationship with God. Right, be, that why is it different? Because it's filled with people who know the Lord. It's always about relationship. And again, I would say if you are here today with us in person or watching online or even if you watch this sermon in two years from now, it will still be true. That, that you start with your saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, of in, inviting him into your life, get, of accepting him as your savior, receiving that grace and forgiveness, and starting that relationship with Jesus. The relationship always comes first. It's before your actions, you can't earn your way to heaven. You, it's, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. And the relationship always comes first. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, you never received him as your savior, I hope you will do that today. And you do that just by praying and confessing your sins and inviting God into your life. But as we see this and and this culmination in in verse 9, right, that we have to know the Lord, the relationship always comes first. And and yet then if we look at these two sections of this passage, Verses 1 through 5, right, and 6 through 9, if we combine all these attributes together, we, the end result is the biblical concept of shalom. In fact, it, it, it's, it's implied throughout the Hebrew language in this passage that, that that is the goal. Again, that's still a phrase that's used even in the Holy Land and the Jew circles today, right? I mean, you see it all over, shalom. Right? It's God's presence and God's peace right? and goodwill that comes into our lives, if we truly are people who know the Lord. And then we see um, here in verse 10, the beginning part of verse 10, where it says, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. And this is still, even as we see godly leadership, even all of these these human kings that that led Israel in their godly leadership, they were still a foreshadow of the coming Messiah. But now as we look in 2021, as we look backwards at the cross and even looking at all of these prophecies and these predictions of Isaiah, right, that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, right, we can still see, and, and now we know as we look back to the cross, right, that Jesus fulfills everything that is described here. 
that when you look at what godly leadership really looks like, Jesus fulfills every single word. Again, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, right? He, he, he carried the wisdom and, and understanding. He had the, 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 the care, right, and the might. I mean, he had the knowledge of the Lord and, and the reverence and worship of God. And, and we see all of those things play out in the life of Jesus and in the ministry of Jesus, which leads us back to our core value number one, that Jesus Christ is the destination of our journey because he is our example to follow. And when, we, there's, when we're looking for what godly leadership looked like, we don't have to look any further than Jesus. Right? That he was the chosen Messiah. He is our example to follow. We strive to be more like him, to have these attributes be more and more true of us as we grow in our faith every day to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. And then we look at all of this in this section and, and everything that is described here. And then we end up here at this passage in Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah 12, verses 1 through 6. And as we look at this passage, and before I read it, I just want to say is that, um, again, this is the culmination of this section of Isaiah. And as we look at this, again, this is a short chapter. You can see it's six, six verses long. We're going to read the entire chapter. But again, before we do that, to say is, is after we read these words, what follows in Isaiah, what's the, the last chapter is, again, finishing out this section, is that chapters 13 through 23 are all doomsday predictions for various nations. Again, different nations and people groups are literally listed out one by one, and about the, the, the judgment that is coming to them. And then it all culminates in chapters 24 through 26, where it's described as the destruction of the earth, which is an end times prophecy and prediction. And then chapters 28 through 39 concludes the first section of Isaiah with specific prophecies concerning Assyria, Edom, and King Hezekiah. Now, I just bring this up to say, that's the rest of this section. And like I said, we're wrapping up this section today. And now, we're not going to go through these literally from chapter 13 through 39 of judgments. And that's literally what's there. But with that said, is there's a reason why Isaiah gives us this before he goes into all of that. Okay, and, and when we look at this chapter, at these verses... Right? These verses were written as a liturgy or a song that summarizes this entire section of Scripture. It, it pulls in all of the hard truths of the struggles, the truth of where I'm at, the glimpses of hope, seeing God at work in the midst of everything that's going on around us, the love of God and the justice of God, my sinful state and God's supreme holiness. Can I take all of that and end up here. That's the challenge that Isaiah presents. So let's read it. Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. In that day you will sing. I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. 
In that wonderful day, you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name. Tell the nations what he has done. Tell them, let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout with praise and joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. I think that deserves an amen. (laughs) Am I the only one that feels that? As we read those verses and and think about this this psalm, this praise, I mean, the the, the glorification of who God is and all he's done and and that he is just, but he's also loving and that that he's with me, everything I face. And, And when we read these verses, we have to, uh, to ask the question, the, the, the challenge that Isaiah presents to Israel then and to us now is, are these verses really true for your life? Are they really true? Because as we read these verses, we see there's, again, two distinct sections of this liturgy, of this song. They're, verses 1 through 3 are very personal. Verses 1 through 3 are very personal. Again, it culminates in verse 3, right? That, that, that with joy I will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. This is 100% about you and God. It's not about your church. It's not about your family. It's not about our culture, right? It's, it's between you and God. It's very personal. And we see verses four through six, right, that are communal. It's about how God and we interact with the world. See, in verse five, again, we sing to the Lord for he's done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Do we come together, not after our personal experience with God, then do we come together as God's people and declare his glory for the entire world? Because that's the church. We see a very personal God. We see a very big God. And I want to extend that question and challenge to you this morning. Do these verses represent your life? Do they truly represent your life and your faith? Because if they do, if you see her today, say, yes, I am a, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. I pray to accept him as my Savior. I know I'm saved. I'm walking with him every day. I'm growing in my faith. I'm moving forward in my journey. And, and, and these are true in my life. Well, then we need to do what it says, and that is declare your praises. Now, if it doesn't, if you can't honestly say, like, my, my, my life doesn't reflect these words, I can't honestly say that then the question is, what's holding you back from that? And whatever's holding you back from that has already been paid for on that cross. So if it doesn't represent your life, then I will say, then you need to identify what's holding you back and you need to give it to God. And so today, again, we are going to end our service a little differently. We're, our worship team's going to come back up. They're going to sing a song with us, and, and that's still going to happen. But what I want to challenge you to do today is, if, if, if that's true in your life, then there's a, a little slip of paper in the seat backs. 
if this is already true of your life, and then I want you to sing out your praises. I want you to write your praises on this piece of paper. And you can take this piece of paper, and you can come forward, and you can fold it up, and you don't have to, or you can not. It's up to you, and I want you to put it on this cross. And if this is not true in your life, then I want you to identify what's holding you back. And I want you to put that on this paper. And then I challenge you to come and to put that on the cross. And the challenge of that, if there's something holding you back, and you've got to put it down here, right, and then you, you tell God that and you put it on the cross, the challenge of that is to leave it on the cross. And by you putting it on the cross means you're giving it to God and say, God, this is yours. Right? I, I give it to you, and I, I want to surrender this to you. Help me surrender this to you. Okay, so as you see, that's, that's what I want us to do today, right? to come forward to, put, to, to do that. Either declare your praise, Right, or identify what's holding you back. And, and again, dude, it's here to do that. If you want to talk with somebody or pray with somebody today, you can come over here just like normal. Somebody will talk with you and pray with you right, about whatever's on this sheet or whatever else is going on. But this is my final thought this morning. Isaiah 12 should truly represent your faith journey. If it, doesn't let, if it does, let your praises be heard. And if it doesn't, what's holding you back? Identify it. Write it down. And I encourage you, put it on the cross and leave it there. Lord God, we praise you, God, that you have overcome the world. God, that when you're involved, that nothing will ever be the same. We're thankful for that. And God, we praise you today, God, that these verses are true in our lives. God, that help us, Lord, to, to drink deeply the joy of our salvation every day. God, and to declare the nations who you are. And God, we pray specifically, Lord, for someone who maybe doesn't know you or can't, can't say these words are true in their life. God, we pray that you would continue to pursue them, to help them. God, because you are with them, and we claim that promise, God, that you are with us no matter what we face, even in the midst of the struggle. And God, we pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would move forward in our faith. We'd follow the example given by Jesus of what a godly leader looks like. And God, help us to truly lead in, in every place you need us to, God, whether that's even just leading our own, our own selves and our own faith, or leading our families, our marriages, our church, our neighborhood, our job, our community. God, help us, Lord, to shine your light in this dark world this week as we declare your praises for all the world to see. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for changing us. God, thank you for transforming us. Lord, and for bringing us to victory. Guide us as we go. In Jesus name.